We're in this series called Make Room. And for Christians around the world, Advent is a time where we can slow down, we can reflect on why Christmas is important. Uh, so we've been leading up to the arrival of Jesus and looking back and looking forward to his return. Uh, Jennifer did say that it would be a Christmas miracle if I kept the sermon short today. We did pretty good first service. Um, so I'm going to move fast today. But can I just tell you in advance, all you parents, I want you to listen to me. Um, your kids are not a distraction. Um, I know sometimes as, as parents, young parents, you, you're trying to wrangle your kids and keep them. And you're like, don't say that, don't do it. Your kids are never a bother to us. Um, I don't want you to think your children are unwelcome. So I actually like having them in the service today. It's going to be a little bit rowdy. That's okay. I would much rather hear, hear kids and see kids running around than being in a church that has no children. Amen? Amen. So just, uh, I tell you that in advance, it's all right. We've all been there. We know it. You'll, you'll survive, and you'll be thankful when the service is over. <laughs> but you can do it. You'll make it through this today. Okay. There's a book um, titled Make Room, Finding Where Your Faith Fits. And in it, the author said this. And I think it's a good quote. The health of our souls, the trajectory of our lives, and the benefit of our faith depend on our willingness to make room for God. And really, so much in our life comes down to this simple fact. Will we make room for Him? Over 2,000 years ago, Mary and Joseph went to Bethlehem, and they couldn't find anyone who would make room for Jesus. And, and I feel like we live in a world today where that same fact is true, that there's so many people that just simply are too distracted to make room for Jesus. We have overcrowded lives and we're distracted and our hearts, minds, and time are filled up with so many things. Uh, one commentary said this, he said, there was no room for them at the inn, not because the innkeeper was cruel or inhospitable but because the inn was already overcrowded. There are hearts that have never welcomed Jesus, and this is not because they hate him, but simply because their hearts are already so overcrowded with thoughts of riches and honor and prestige and pleasures and business affairs that they have no room for Jesus. They have no time to reflect on his will, no desire to go out of their, out of their way to do his pleasure. And, and again, I feel like this is kind of the world we live in. It's not that we dislike Jesus, it's that we don't have time for Jesus. I was reading a, a study not long ago that, that said the, the new reality is that most families only make it to church maybe once or twice per month. And, and, and honestly, we kind of see that here a little bit. Why? Because everybody's busy. You're on trips and going places. And, and we added up not long ago uh, how many kids have checked in in just the last few months here at Cornerstones. It's over 100 kids right, that we have. If they all showed up at the same morning, can we just say our children's workers would need a lot of prayer? Uh, it, would be, it would be crazy, right? But, it's, but that's, we've got a huge church family. They're just not all here every week. Why? Because we're busy people. And I don't want to beat you up over that, but I want you to realize that this morning, that we really live overcrowded lives. And I feel like Jesus is just knocking and saying, guys, will you let me in? Will you open up? Will you make room for me? And so if you get anything from this series, it's that, that we, we need to, to make room for Jesus. 
and make room for that hope, peace, joy, and love. Today, we want to zero in on making room for love in our life. And what does that look like? And what does that word mean? And we overuse the word love in our English language, don't we? We love everything. And whether it's pancakes or whether it's uh, our new car or whether it's a new TV show or our sports team, we love everything. But is that really what love means? In the, the ancient languages, and whether it was the Greek or Hebrew that the Bible was written in or the Aramaic that they spoke, uh, the languages were a little more precise. And so they had different, lo- different words for love, whether it was the intimate love or the familial love or uh, the, the, the brotherly type love or the love that God has for us or the love we have for Him. You have these different kind of variations and And so what we've been doing as we go through this series is we've been doing a little bit of a word study each week to gain a better understanding of what hope, uh, hope, peace, and joy, and love actually mean. And to do that, we've been watching some videos from the Bible Project to to help us understand that. And so today, uh, I want to show you the video on love, and it kind of helps us understand a little more about this. So if you've heard of Jesus, you probably know about one of his famous teachings called the Golden Rule. Do to others what you would want them to do to you. And this, actually, is a restatement of something else that Jesus said, that the meaning of life is to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that's really beautiful, but what does he mean exactly by the word love? It's an unclear word in English, because you can love your mom and you can love pizza. And if the word love means the same thing in both of those cases, your mom's going to feel real bad. So what did Jesus mean in his language? Well, first of all, this love your neighbor phrase is a quotation from the Hebrew scriptures, where the word for love is ahava. However, the language Jesus spoke and taught in from day to day was a cousin language of Hebrew, that is Aramaic, in which the word for love is rachmah. But then, as Jesus' followers spread his teachings around the world, they translated them into Greek using the word agape. But here's what's fascinating. The earliest followers of Jesus who wrote the books of the New Testament in Greek, they didn't learn the meaning of agape by looking it up in ancient dictionaries. Rather, they looked to the teachings of Jesus and the story of his life to redefine their very concept of love. So one time, Jesus was asked about the most important command in the Jewish scriptures. And he first quoted from the ancient prayer in the Torah called the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. So love for God is the most important thing. But then Jesus quickly followed up by saying another command from the Torah was also the most important, to love your neighbor as yourself. So which is the most important, loving God or loving your neighbor? Jesus' answer is yes. To ask the question means you don't get his point. For Jesus, they are two sides of the same coin. Your love for God will be expressed by your love for people and vice versa, they're inseparable. And so this makes it clear that for Jesus, agape love is not primarily a feeling for someone else that happens to you, like our phrase, I fell in love. For Jesus, love is action. It's a choice that you make to seek the well-being of people other than yourself. Jesus also went on to teach that genuine love for God and others means seeking people's well-being without expecting anything in return, especially from people who are in difficult situations who can't repay you even if they wanted to. According to Jesus, this kind of generous love reflects the very heartbeat of God. And he took this even further. Jesus said that the ultimate standard of authentic love is how well you treat the person that you can't stand. Or in his words, you shall love your enemy and do good to them, expecting nothing 
nothing in return. For Jesus, this kind of enemy-embracing love imitates the very character of God himself. Now, we wouldn't be talking about Jesus still today if he had only said things like love your enemy. This is how he actually lived. Jesus was constantly helping and serving the people around him in very practical and tangible ways. And he consistently moved towards poor and hurting people who couldn't benefit him in return. He showed love for the forgotten ones, the people who usually fall through the cracks. And when Jesus eventually marched into Jerusalem, he made himself an enemy of the leaders of his people by accusing them of hypocrisy and corruption. But then instead of attacking his enemies to overthrow them, he allowed them to kill him. Jesus died for the selfishness and corruption of his enemies because he loved them. After Easter morning, Jesus and then his followers claimed that it was the power of God's love for the world that was revealed in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. As the Apostle Paul put it, God demonstrated his own agape for us in this. While we were still sinners, the Messiah died for us. Or in the words of the Apostle John, God's own agape was revealed when he sent his one and only son into the world so that through him we could have life. And for John, then, this leads naturally to the conclusion, beloved ones, if that's how God has loved us, then we ought to show love for one another. So Christian faith involves trusting that at the center of the universe is a being overflowing with love for his world, which means that the purpose of human existence is to receive this love that has come to us in Jesus and then to give it back out to others, creating an ecosystem of others-focused, self-giving love. And that's the New Testament meaning of agape love. So I hope you've enjoyed all these videos. I know they kind of they help us to go a little bit deeper and understand what these words actually mean. A couple of statements that he said there. Biblical love refers to more than just a feeling. It's about caring for someone regardless of their response, and it's modeled perfectly by Jesus. And then he said agape love is not primarily a feeling that happens to people. This kind of love is a choice to act in ways that offer well-being to others. And so I kind of want to jump in and talk about how we can make room for this type of love in our life. I'm going to move fast this morning. I've got three points. We're going to go through them pretty quickly. Um, but the first point I'm just going to jump right in is simply this to this morning. The greatest gift of Christmas is God's love. When we start thinking about the gifts that are most important, the gifts that are biggest, God's love is at the top. If we were to crack open the very first pages of the Bible, what we see is that our God is a giver. From the very beginning, right, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Not only did he create the heavens and the earth, he created everything in it, he created us. In Genesis 1-26, God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on earth and all the small animals that scurry along the ground. He gave us creation, but he also gave us responsibility. We see also as we keep going um, that creation was broken. So God stepped in with an even better gift. He gave himself. He gave his son, Jesus Christ. And I think with all of the Christmas festivities, all of the Christmas lights and the gifts, sometimes we miss the real present that's under the tree. We miss that God is with us. It's easy to get distracted. It's easy to get crowded in our thoughts. But what Christmas is, it's a celebration 
of God's love for us. And, and so if we look at the most quotable, the most memorized, kind of the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16, that's kind of where I want to focus this morning. And, 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 I, and I share this as a Christmas verse. And I don't, I don't know that we always think of this as a Christmas verse, but this is the Christmas message, isn't it? Isn't this why Jesus came? For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. It's God's love. He sent his son Jesus, the the, the most incredible gift ever given. So when we see the baby in a manger, it's not just a normal baby. That's the baby that would save us. That baby is the representation of God's love. It is love, right? Uh, The first Christmas gifts were not the wise men bringing gifts to the baby. It's God bringing Jesus to us. That's that's the first gift of Christmas. And, and, And if God gave his son to us so that if we believe in him, we would have eternal life, what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, eternal life is knowing and experiencing God himself. But not just during our earthly life, but forevermore. John 17, 3 says, This is the way to have eternal life. To know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. The one you sent to earth. That's the gift that we have to know God, to be with God for all of eternity. To have a relationship with the God that created us. And we can have a relationship with him through faith, right? And so when we look at how is this possible? How did Jesus do this? Why did he do it? As we read through the New Testament, we see all of these glimpses of the Christmas story. Another place that it kind of shows up is in Philippians chapter 2. A short little passage here that tells us what God was thinking. Um, And it says, though he was God... He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and he died a criminal's death on the cross. So what did God do when he sent Jesus? Jesus gave away the wealth of heaven. He was a king, but yet he made himself nothing. He took on human flesh. He humbled himself. He became impoverished and poor. Not just economically poor, but, but spiritually poor. He hung on the cross, separated from the Father's love because of our sin. And this is all part of the Christmas story. This is why how he came. This is how he came. He gave everything. And that kind of leads me to my second point. Then how, I just want to ask you, have you made room for God's love in your life? If this is who God is, if this is why he came, then have you made room for that in your life? If it, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, we know that. But let's keep going to John three seventeen. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. So how do you view God? When you think about God, what do you think about? 
A.W. Tozer, a pastor, author, he, he had a famous quote. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Let me kind of put that in my version, right? My concept of what I view, how I view God is what fuels my life. If I view God as a judgmental, mean-spirited, out-to-get-me, ready-to-strike-me-with-lightning every time I mess up, I'm going to live in fear, right? I mean, that's going to be, my whole life is going to be characterized by that fear, But if I view God as someone who cares about me, who loves me, who loved me so much that made a way for me to have a relationship with him, then my life is not going to be ruled by fear. It's going to be ruled by love. It's going to be ruled by gratitude. It's going to be ruled by hope for my future. And if I know that and if I accept that and realize that, then it changes my life because I want to share that with other people. I read another quote this week from Hannah White Smith, and she said this, God's salvation is not a purchase to be made. It's not wages to be earned. It's not a summit to be climbed, not a task to be accomplished. But it is simply and only a gift to be accepted, and it can only be accepted by faith. And I feel like that's kind of where we mess things up in our minds about religion sometimes. We think it's something we earn instead of something we accept. John writes a lot about love. He writes a lot about light in his gospel and in his epistles. And I kind of want to take us to 1 John chapter 4. Uh, The whole book of 1 John really is about love. But in in chapter 4 here, he gets really specific. and, And he says this. He says, Dear friends... Let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives us, lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. I mean, this is so clear. I really don't need to explain this because it, it, God's word is clear. This is what love looks like. We can love because he first loved us. Our, the way we lo- treat others, the way we love each other shows that God lives in us. And so, again, my question is, is it simply, right, have you made room for God's love in your life? And that kind of brings me to my last point this morning. What will you give to God this Christmas? The, the whole point of our children's story this morning, it ended up with a box with a, with a mirror in it. So you, when you ask, what does God really want? We look at it. What do we see? We see ourselves. The biggest gift we could give God is ourself. Now, you do have really kind of two options here. You can choose to give God nothing. And unfortunately, a lot of people in this world, that's what they do. If you live your life that way, what, you do, what you're doing is, in essence, you're choosing the, the gifts over the giver. You're choosing the things over this world instead of the creator God. You're choosing the created things instead of the creator God. 
And a lot of people, that's where they seek pleasure. That's where they're trying to find happiness. And, and I'm telling you, you, you may find some happiness short term, but in the end you're going to find heartbreak. Giving God nothing leads to a life separated from Him. But the flip side of that is if we choose to give Him ourself, then that means we reflect Him in everything we do. And, and I love the, the picture of a mirror because really when people see us, we should be a reflection of Jesus. When people look at us, they should see the life of Jesus reflected in how we think and how we speak and how we act and the things we do, how we love and how we share. They should be seeing Jesus in us. That's the reflection they should see. And so part of our job is kind of polishing our mirrors and getting out of the way so we can be a better reflection of Jesus. That's what this whole process of learning to live like Jesus in discipleship is. It's allowing him to live through us and be reflected through us. And so at Christmas, I do want to kind of talk about this for a second. Think about how Jesus came into the world. Poor, destitute, dirty, alone, in a dark place, unwanted. It was messy. And, and honestly, it's nothing like our pretty little nativity sets. All right, I, I think we, we kind of we, we get used to our little fancy Christmas images. And, and, and I've talked about this before in, in years past. That that's not the way it really happened. You guys know what a barn, a, a, a stable smells like and what it looks like. That's the, he, he left, the, he could have came in all of his glory, but yet he chose to empty himself of all that, to give that all up, to come as a baby. And I think that's just a reminder to me this Christmas that we look for ways to let God's love shine in the mess of our world and the darkness of our world. We, we live in a messy world, and I love that our church is, is passionate about serving those that are less fortunate, those that are hurting, those that are, are, are hopeless even sometimes. And, and, and I've been blessed these last few months by the, working with people at the warming shelter, and maybe you've got a chance to volunteer with that ministry, but to see people who come there that don't really have a lot of hope and to, to find hope and to find the people that care about them. And all the other ministries, the, the soup kitchen and all these other ways that we see people being served. And I'm so passionate about this because it seems like those people are pushed out. And we need to remember that those people are people. Hungry people are people. Homeless people are still real people. They are people created in the image of God that we don't look down on. Instead, we reach out to. And so I'm thankful for this church. That's a tangible way to share the love of God this Christmas. 1 John 4 says it this way. Um, in verse 19, it says, We love each other because He loved us first. If someone says, I love God but hates a fellow believer, then that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command, those who love God must also love their fellow believers. And I'm just telling you, it's easy to love people like us. It's a lot harder to love people who aren't like us. And at Christmas, we tend to surround ourselves with people and our family and our friends and those closest to us for good reason. But let's not lose sight of the fact that there are a whole lot of people that Christmas is not a, a happy time for because they don't have someone. 
they're hurting. They've lost hope. And so it's our job as believers then to figure out how we can love them and how we can share the light of Christmas with them. Uh, And if you keep going in Luke chapter 6, I'll read it up here. It talks about how to you who are willing to listen, I say love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. Someone slaps you on the one cheek, offer the other cheek. If someone demands your coat, offer the, your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks. And when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. Love your enemies, do good to them. This is the truest expression of love. And it's not easy, and we don't talk about it enough, right? And I guarantee there are people, when you think, you, don't, you may not go through, well, I don't really have people that are my enemies, but you have people you don't like and that don't like you. And you have people that you don't get along with and that you struggle with, and, and, and this, we still love them anyway. And so I just want to remind you at Christmas that God made room for us. He's the one that came to us in all of our mess and all of our sin. And yet he chose love. So it starts this morning with us accepting that love ourselves. And in the video earlier, he mentioned Romans 5.8, which is an incredible verse. Romans 5.8, God showed his love, his great love for us. By sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. That's, isn't that the Christmas message? That we were a mess without God and he still chose to love us. He still chose to make a way. And he did it through Jesus being born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. And so today, guys, I just want to challenge you, right? What choice will you make? Will you accept that free gift that God has offered? Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift, free gift, free, we all like free gifts, right? The free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Guys, I, I just... You know, I, I, I've done this little skit in Nicaragua before with the kids, and I, like, get a stuffed animal and say, like, here's a stuffed animal. Do you want it? And I'm going to give it to you. This is yours. I'm offering it to you. And, like, and I'm like, and they're, like, sitting there looking, and I'm, like, and I'm like, is it yours yet? And they're like, I don't know. And I'm like, no, it's not because I'm still holding it. How, how do you know it's yours? When you reach out and you take it and you accept it. And when you accept it, it's yours. That's what salvation is. God offers it to us, but it's not truly ours until we accept it and receive it. I want to give you a chance to do that right now. Would you guys bow your heads? Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for Christmas. We thank you for this time we can reflect on how much you love us. I'm so thankful for the kids in our church this morning who have been so awesome listening and and behaving and just being part of our church family. Lord, you have offered us an incredible gift and you have told us that it can be ours if we accept it. We accept it when we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart, God, that you raised Jesus from the dead for our sakes. 
And so right now, Lord, I want to give everybody a chance to do that. Whether they're listening online or whether they're here in person today. If you have never received Jesus as your Savior, today could be that day that forever changes your life. Today could be that day where God changes you, transforms you, where God saves you, when He he makes you be born again. And it all happens when we confess our sin and say, God, we need you, we believe. And so if you've never done that, then right now is your opportunity. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful for Jesus. I'm thankful for what He has done in my life. I'm thankful for being able to to hear this message, for being able to, to understand that there is a free gift that's been offered to me, and I want to receive that gift. And so, Lord, I, I believe. I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want you to, to forgive me of my sin, to cleanse me and, and, and put me on a new path. Give me a new heart, Lord. Change my life. Help me to, to follow you from this day forward. Lord, I know I've sinned. I know I need forgiveness. I know I need you. So would you do that right now? If, if you pray that, I, I, Jesus heard it, he answered it, and he will save you. Lord, we thank you for that, that you still save people today. It's in the name of Jesus we pray this morning. Amen.